Good morning, Veritas. Uh, my name is Mark Aaron. Glad to be here with you guys and uh, get to open God's Word this morning. We've got baptisms. It's going to be a great morning. And uh, we are starting, we're continuing uh, to study through Genesis. We're in chapter 4 this morning. If you want to open your Bible there or turn on your Bible there. So Genesis 1 through 2. Wasn't it fun being in a world without sin for a couple weeks, right? We talked about creation and, and God's uh, creating the nature and uh, humans in his image. That was fun while it lasted. Last week, uh, Brian Dermody, Mr. Sunshine, came out with Genesis 3, and sin entered the world and everything changed. And um, we saw Adam abdicating his responsibility as the loving leader, uh, Eve allowing desire to overcome uh, God's commands. And, and here now we are in Genesis 4, and we're seeing the new normal of life in a fallen world. And so we're going to read the first 16 verses of Genesis 4. This is God's word. The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, you replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Genesis 3 ended with God posting an angel with a flaming sword to guard the tree of life. And now, here we are in the land east of Eden, a world filled with hostility, anger, rage, murder, pride, generational sin. It's just a spiral down and it's saying this is life in a fallen world. So here's how we're going to approach Genesis 4 this morning. I was out golfing with a friend a, a couple years ago, and 
and I'm new to golf, you know, I've always been new to golf. Every, I golf like once or twice a year. So I'm like, yeah, I've been doing that for 20 years, but I'm still new to golf. And so I'm trying to get some golfing tips from my buddy, Drew. And he's good, you know? So I said, hey, Drew, can you, can you help me with my swing? He's like, Mark, here's the thing. Here's the thing about your swing. Your swing is so bad that I can't even begin to coach you on it. Because really, the only thing good about your swing is it's kind of a clinic on how to totally ruin the game of golf. You know, it's like, it's that bad. You know, if we put a video on it, like there's no minor adjustments. It's just, it's all wrong, okay? So, you know, I was thinking about that. I'm like, the optimist, the optimist in me is like, that's awesome. Like, then it's useful for teaching people how not to do it. And he's, yeah, well, that's how I see Genesis 4, is I'm like, it's kind of a clinic on, and this is the title of the sermon, how to destroy your life in three easy steps. Now, we could find way more than three steps in this passage, but I just want to touch on a few places where if you were wondering how to totally mess up your life, this would be it. And there's something about seeing your life uh, through, you know, through failures, examples of failures that help bring your own life into clarity and say, woo, I, yeah, I kind of struggle with that too, right? And it's, it's going to lead us to the cross. It ends with hope, I promise. So first two humans are born, Cain and Abel. Cain is a farmer. Abel raises livestock. And it says in verse three, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering. Some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. So stop here. This sounds kind of messed up, doesn't it? God looks at their offerings, he's like, I love that offering. I hate that offering. Doesn't that seem so arbitrary? Does God just like look at humans and just randomly decide who he likes and who he doesn't like? Is that what's going on here? Well, we see here uh, actually in Hebrews 11, it helps us interpret this. And we'll, we'll see some signs from the text to give us a clue in this. But, but Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith... Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. So it explains to us the difference. It's not just random. It's not just arbitrary, God, uh, I like that one, I don't like that one. No, the difference was faith. Faith is what pleases God. And it says his offering was better because it was by faith. By faith, Abel was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he's dead, he still speaks through his faith. This morning, Abel is here speaking to us, saying something to us, and it's a message of faith. So look at their sacrifices. Abel's faith was the difference, but the difference of their faith was visible in their sacrifices. So Cain, it says that he brought some produce. But what does it say about Abel's sacrifice? In Hebrew, this would be the idea. It was the fattest 
of the firstest of his flock. So in other words, he looked out at his livestock and he found the very best sheep or cow or whatever he had. And he brought it to God. And then from that, he gave the best parts of the animal to the Lord. Like he brought his A game to God. Now, remember the story. This is a similar story in the New Testament. Jesus is in the temple. This is Luke 21. And he gets his disciples to come over and say, hey, guys, guys, look, you guys, this is amazing. And he shows them this widow that comes and drops two little pennies into the offering. And he says, everyone else is giving all this money out of their abundance, out of their prosperity, out of their wealth. And this woman over here, she is giving out of her poverty and she's giving everything she has to live on. And Jesus is so impressed because this woman's heart Her faith was on display in the sacrifice that she brought to God. And that's exactly what's happening in Genesis 4. The contrast between Cain and Abel is seen in their sacrifice. And we learn that God's pleasure is in wholehearted, undevoted, undivided devotion to him. That's the difference. That's why God accepted one, rejected the other. So the first point, if you're taking notes, how to destroy your life in three easy steps. Step number one, give God your half-hearted worship. I feel like, Mark, I really want to just live a dysfunctional life. I want the generations after me to totally not follow Jesus I just want to just create chaos with my life. Here's how to do it. Bring God your lazy worship. Bring God your leftovers. Look at all that you have and use the best for yourself and then just give God some of your leftovers. That, that's the first point. Here's, I think this is interesting. This is important to understand and, and this is like, This is a super important concept. So listen, the difference between Cain and Abel is not the difference between worship and non-worship. It's not the difference between a worshiper of God and a non-worshiper of God. That's not the difference here. Both of these men are worshiping in their sacrifices. See, the issue in Genesis 4 is not whether you worship But how you worship, that's the difference. Let me explain this through through Proverbs 15.8. It says, the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Sacrifices and prayers are both good things that God commands, right? Right? Those are good, right? A sacrifice is a good thing. So somebody is doing something that God commanded to do and Proverbs said, it's an abomination to God. It's, he hates it. He detests it. God's like, get that out of here. What's, what's up with that? Why would God reject someone for doing what he told him to do? Well, he, he explains. He says, it's the sacrifice of the wicked 
Here's what we learned from Genesis 4. Evil people can do religious activities. Anybody can show up at Veritas and just go through the motions of singing, hey, love, love the music this morning, love, all this baptism's great, you know, loved it. Yeah, Cain could totally do that. Cain could go through the motions of showing up for church and going through the motions of that. But the difference is in the heart. So what is today's version of bringing your firstborn and the fat portion of that? Because nobody showed up this morning with a cow. That'd be weird. Someone rolls up and there's just a cow here. And well, what's this doing? Like, hey, I looked at all my livestock and this is my first and my best. Or I've got a thousand cattle that I'm taking. And actually I took the first, the best 100 cows and I just filled up the auditorium with them because I'm given my tithe, my 10%. And that hundred cows represents thousands and thousands of dollars and We don't do that, right? So what's today's version of that? What does a wholehearted sacrifice to God look like in 2022? What do you think? If you wanted to see it or quantify it in your life, what would it be? Is it like how excited you were about Jesus this morning? Is it like, I showed up at church and I got good feelings when we were singing just then. Like when we were singing, I even kind of had a tear come down. It was really, is that, is that it? I mean, maybe that could be. But then if you leave and it's like the rest of your life doesn't say anything about a heart that loves Jesus. So what would the things be? How, how would we, what's the firstborn of the fattest of your flock. I think for me, time and money, for sure, right? How I spend my time. You can see what I love based on how I spend my time. Just look at my calendar. Look at my week. Ask my wife and kids what I love, what I'm devoted to. They'll tell you, right? And I think your kids are gonna see how you spend your time if you're a parent. They know. They know what your devotion to God looks like. You can't fool them. Well, time, I think about um, not just Sunday morning, that this is an important thing for sure, prioritizing that, but how do you spend the best part of your day, the most productive part of your day? Is it like working out? Dude, I got to get coffee in me and I got to hit the gym because this body is a big deal. I got to whip this thing into shape. Uh, my most productive work hours are in the morning. I don't know about you, but an hour before lunch is like worth three after. So my best time is in the morning. Do I get right to work, right to, I got all this stuff I got to do, or is, is Jesus getting my private best time? I think those are good questions to ask. I want to talk to um, young people this morning. If you are, I'm just going to say it, if you're 30 and under, maybe mid-30s and under, I want to talk to you for a second. Because I want to talk to you about what has happened to all my friends. Not all, many of my friends. I've lost many of my friends to youth sports over the years. See, we are in the teenage years. So our kids are teenagers. So all the 
practices, sports teams, clubs, all those things. Like I'm in that season of life and I have watched so many people check out during this season of life. And the reason I'm talking to young people and not people that are my age is because I've discovered that once you're in it, it's almost impossible to get out. Once you're on that train and your kid is on that train to be U.S. volleyball or next Olympics in gymnastics or NBA or next World Cup, you know, your kids are going to be there. It's almost impossible to get off of that train. And all of a sudden, faithfulness to church becomes like once a month. Like we're, we love Verita, we're total. But I'm telling you, young people, you have to decide now what that season of your life is gonna look like. Because once it comes, it's just gonna take over your life. And I guarantee the baseball diamonds, the soccer fields, they're way more packed than our church this morning, right? Because there's big times games going on. Dermody talks about, you know, he's like the Bears game is on today. And he's talking about his kid playing uh, in the football field over there, the Bears. And it is a big deal. And it's important. And you should care about your kids and all that. But I'm saying, your kid's not going to play professional sports. I mean, I mean, you're like, yeah, it's easy for you to say, Mark, <laughs> look at your genetics. Like, we don't ever have to worry about that for your family. <laughs> and it's true. But how much more important, if you do have special children that are especially gifted, and maybe they will go on to play professional sports, how much more of a stewardship is that for you to make sure they understand what an able kind of sacrifice looks like? Because your kids are not going to be more devoted to Jesus than you are. It's almost easier in youth ministry. I found this to be true. It's almost easier for a kid to come to know Jesus and a real relationship with Jesus if the parents are just like totally lost unbelievers than if they're half-hearted Christians. You can't come to Genesis 4 and not be confronted with that question. What is Jesus getting of my heart? And what does my sacrifice look like? It also comes out in money, and this, this is an easy one. We won't spend much time on this. I would just say, parents, talk to your kids about money. Talk to them about what you give. Show them what you give, because it's so private, right? Uh, your kids know what you do with your time. You'll never fool them on that one. Um, but when it comes to your money, talk to them and say, follow our example of bringing our 100 best cows to the Lord and saying it, it all belongs to Jesus. Well, how does Cain respond to God for rejecting his sacrifice? Verse 5, Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. 
And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's response to this kind of God's stiff arm to him and him accepting Abel's sacrifice is he throws a temper tantrum. And in the middle of Cain's little fit here, God steps in and warns him. He's like, sin is right there. It's like a lion is at the door of your life waiting to destroy you. Your emotions are running high right now. A lot of anger, a lot of emotion coming out. But what you need to do is rule over your sin or it will devour you. Well, it did devour him and he killed his brother Abel. The, th- the second point here on three ways to destroy your life. Step number two, act quickly on your emotions. If you want to ruin your life, act quickly on your emotions. If you're feeling something, just do it. Do it quickly. I learned this lesson when I was in about third or fourth grade. I uh, was playing uh, neighborhood basketball, and that's as close to the NBA as I got. Uh, but it was a big deal back then as a third or fourth grader. And uh, the ball and my friend is just dominating me. He ended up playing, you know, college ball and, and went on, had a great career, all this stuff. And we were little kids. He's dominating me. And I was down, and it was an important possession, apparently, because the ball went out of bounds. But I was like, the ball's out. And he's like, no, it wasn't out. I'm like, yeah, that line on the sidewalk, that's out of bounds. He's like, no, it's the line that goes into the street. That's out of bounds. The street's out of bounds. We always do that. I'm like, no, it's a sidewalk. We started, I mean, it was like 10 seconds. And it was my first ever fist fight. I mean, it was bad. I wanted to kill him. And that's about the only thing, sporting event, I've ever won, right? When basketball turned into UFC, I just destroyed him. I mean, just saying. (laughs) You're like, I know. And I think I still got it because my boys are teenagers and they think every once in a while they try to be the alpha and I have to, you know, (laughs) show them what old man strength looks like. And I'm like, oh, that hurts my neck. Don't do that wrestling move on me. Just in a second, I lost a friendship. For years, we didn't talk. Over out of bounds line. That's what giving in to your emotions will do. And if it's not rage and anger, it might be online shopping because that doesn't take long. I see that. I want it. Click. Check out. Give me the one button. I don't even want to tell you to confirm my address. You know the drill. Boom. It's mine. Maybe it's a sexual temptation. That doesn't take long, does it? Oh, and that's worse than losing a friend because it might be a spouse, an estranged 
relationship, loved one, sibling, friend. If you want to overcome sin, God steps in and says you must rule over those emotions. Here's my advice. Anger is instant. Love is patient. Take a time out when the emotions are running high. I imagine if Eve would have done this, you know, a time out to take some time to think about it and reflect on how you are feeling. Write it down. One side of your journal, write how I feel. I really want that fruit. It looks really good. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I have to have it. That's how I feel. Make a line on the right side. What I know is true. God said, do not do this or you will surely die. I don't know what death is, but it sounds really bad. I probably shouldn't eat the fruit, right? If Eve would have taken a time out. What about Cain here? I want to kill him. I'm so mad at God and my brother. I could kill him right now. Right side of the journal. I need to repent and maybe even follow Abel's example of giving God my whole life. Some of you um, are in the middle of being tempted in these ways, have been tempted. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, tell me about it. But there's hope for us. We'll get to that. Verse 9 We have one more step here before the good news. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Some of your translations, am I my brother's keeper? That's where that phrase comes from. Actually, yeah, he should have been his keeper. He should have been loving his brother. Verse 10, Cain said, or God said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. There's something I want to point out here. There's a lot we could say, but number one, it says your brother's blood cries out to who? The blood that's soaked into the ground. It's it's speaking. Who's it talking to? Nature, the animals. God says, Abel's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Cain thought he could get away with this. I'm going to go to a private place and I'm going to murder my brother. And he said, I don't know where he is. Good luck finding him. Maybe he hid him, buried him. I don't know. But God says, oh, it's crying out to me. I've seen this whole thing. Here's the reality. Injustice always has an audience. It's been said, someone was asked, is the world getting worse? And they said, no, it's just getting filmed. We're seeing the evil. But we as Christians know from the time of Genesis 4, Genesis 3, it's always been filmed. 
And it's not just a soundbite or a little clip. God sees every angle. He sees every heart. He sees it all and it's crying out to him. This would be the third step. If you want to destroy your life, this is what, this is the step Cain did. Forget that injustice always has an audience. If you think you can do something in private and get away with it, God sees it all. And Abel's innocent blood is crying out. And what is it saying? Guilty. 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 It's going to be a trial. And Cain's going to be on the stand. And the blood is going to show up and testify guilty worthy of death, condemned. The consequences of Cain's sin were so great. If you read the rest of the chapter, you'll see that the consequences of his sin, the consequences of his half-hearted worship, the consequences of him giving into his emotions, the consequences of him forgetting that God sees it all, go down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation until finally Cain's great, 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 great grandson, Lamech, ends up taking two wives, ends up murdering somebody, ends up saying, oh yeah, God will take seven times vengeance for Cain. Well, I'm gonna take 77 times vengeance on anyone who touches me. In other words, Cain's great, 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 great grandson thinks he's, going to take more vengeance than God. I mean, it's just, the point here is, it's total dysfunction. And here's what I want to say. This mess all started with a half-hearted sacrifice to God. But Eve gave birth to a son named Seth. And Seth had a great, 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 great grandson named Jesus. And in Hebrews 12, it says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, listen, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood is screaming out from the ground guilty, but Jesus' blood, the innocent blood of Jesus, also seeped into the ground, and it is speaking to us. And what is the blood of Christ saying to us this morning? Forgiven, loved, justified. The blood of Christ speaks a better word, and that is great news for us because I feel like I have more in common with Cain than Abel this morning. And if you're human, you know what it's like to struggle with sin. And our only hope this morning is that the blood of Christ speaks a better word to us this morning. Let's pray together. As we, as we close on... Um, There's a a verse right after it says the blood of 
Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It comes with a warning. And it says, you know, if, if, you're, if these people in the Old Testament were punished, how much more would we be punished if we just trample on the blood of Christ? And as you come to the cross this morning, here's the question, what in your life needs to change? What is the sacrifice that you need to bring? The sin that you need to open up to God and confess. Jesus, your blood is so precious to us that we would never, we just, I, I want to be first in line to say, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And help me see areas of my life that I need to bring. Jesus, we want to be a church, not a lukewarm, half-hearted, casual Christian kind of church. We want to be an all-in kind of church, kind of Christian. In Jesus' name, amen.